Friday Q&A, and I have three straightforward financial planning questions selected for you. They'll be interesting, but they're straightforward. Vincent says, I got a bunch of money. Can I afford to retire? Kip says, I got too much cash. What do I do? And Joe says, do I put money in my traditional 401k or a Roth 401k? Please help. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and today is Friday, January 30, 2015. This is the show where you get to ask me anything, and I get to tell you what I think. (laughs) It's kind of nice to be asked for your opinion. Sometimes, actually, a lot of times people don't like to hear it, but (laughs) at least I'll give you a few ideas of the way I think and hopefully give you a little bit of clarity and understanding and topic financial stuff. This is the show where each and every day I help you unpack and understand the wild, woolly world of financial planning and financial advice and what to do with your money. And I can't think of a more fun thing to talk about and a more fun job to have than mine. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to do this for you. For at least a number of fairly lengthy shows this week, so I've decided to just answer three questions today, and they're fairly straightforward, just some simple financial planning questions and uh, we'll see how long it takes, but I just picked three and decided to do a quick, short, quick and short Q and A. After all, I think I've probably released <laughs> like eleven hours of content already this week. So hopefully, this one will be thirty, forty-five minutes, fifty minutes, something like that. Hopefully, it'll be less than an hour. So let's kick it off with an email from Vincent, and the, email, the subject line of Vincent's email was, I think, something like, "Please save us from our financial planner." <laughs> So that's a good way to warm my heart. So let's start with this. Dear Joshua, my wife and I are well-read in the areas of index fund investing, frugal living, early retirement, and financial independence, including your podcasts. We have been on the path to early retirement for many years, and we think we are there. We both have high-stress jobs and want to quit to raise a child and do whatever interests us, whether it brings additional income or not. We want to have a significant financial cushion, but also don't want to be so conservative that we work years longer than necessary. We are worriers and are very conservative in our estimates. Although we are fairly confident in our calculations for early retirement timing, we hired a fee-only financial planner for an outside opinion, and the experience was positive, but we believe the timing recommended was extremely conservative, four years from now without a child, five to six years from now with a child. We have a very good handle on our spending as we have been tracking it closely for several years. The financial planner did not seem to understand our frugal lifestyle, and rather than reducing our current spending by the cost of working that we clearly communicated, he added $15,000 per year to our current spending, which significantly changes the projections for retirement. The explanation given was to account for unexpected expenses, but that amounts to approximately $20,000 per year in excess of our retirement spending estimate below. We would be very grateful for your opinion of our plan to retire now, given the following data, which we have abbreviated to the most important points. Ages, him, 45, her, 37. Debts, none. Own a house and two cars, free and clear. Assets, $1,300,646, of which about $700,000 is in a TSP, which is the federal... um, uh, savings program, uh, thrift uh, thrift savings plan for federal employees, three hundred and fifty grand in Vanguard uh, index funds and a taxable account, little over two hundred thousand in cash and I bonds, twenty two thousand in Roth IRAs, thirty one thousand dollars his pension starting at age sixty and six grand her pension starting at age sixty two. There will be a minimum of one hundred thousand dollars net after moving and downsizing our house, not included in the assets above. So we have about one point four million dollars of cash to play with. Right now, we're invested 40% in the total U.S. stock market fund, 12% in the total international stock market fund, 33% bonds in the G fund, uh, which is in the thrift savings plan, and 15% in cash. And we're currently spending $45,000, and we estimate that our retirement spending will be $37,000 per year. 
This is after removing the easily calculated so-called costs of working, about $10,000 in property tax and $3,000 in gas, and adding estimated cost of health insurance, about $5,000 per year. Note, we'll be moving from a very high-cost area, suburban Chicago, to a very low-cost area, rural Florida. Isn't that awesome? Vincent, <laughs> how awesome. Congratulations, dude. You guys are rocking it. I love, love, love getting emails like this. How exciting is that? Um, I mean, you're 45 years old. You got a million and a half bucks, basically. Uh, you know, by the time it sounds like you're going to uh, you're gonna net $100,000 after you buy a smaller house is what it sounded like from your email. So you've got at least, you know, you've got at least a... Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, a million and a half bucks. Man, that is exciting. Congratulations. So to answer your question, yes, you can afford to retire. And yes, you can afford to do it now if you are confident in your spending numbers. So one of the challenges here, and I think you're you're probably being, uh, you are probably being a little bit, uh, you're being conservative. And I think being conservative is awesome. I applaud you for sending me a note, and I applaud you for going and, and talking to the financial planner. I'll talk a little bit about that experience uh, and why it probably was the way that you do to help you understand – excuse me – why it was the way that it was to help you understand a little bit more about what your planner was thinking. But uh, – <sighs> The biggest challenge you're going to have to face is your fear of the future. And I think that a few years after you retire, you're going to have this well in hand. What I would do if I were you is I would figure out how to call Doug Nordman from themilitaryguide.com. He did an interview on the show. Uh, I'll post a link to that interview in the show notes if you haven't heard it. And he's going to come back on the show. It was quite popular, and he's going to come back. He's out of town. He's traveling for a bit right now. He's retired, so why does he have to work? Um, but I'm going to have him on. We're going to talk about a few things, but I'm going to talk about – we're going to talk about fear of retiring because that's what I hear in your message. And I'll give you the financial numbers in just a minute. But the biggest thing you're going to have to face is the fear of crossing the chasm – and basically just simply making the decision to quit. Now, I haven't experienced this with being financially independent. I am not yet financially independent and able to live off of purely off of the, the dividends and growth of my portfolio. But uh, Doug has, and he's gone through some tough times. And, but I have experienced this with striking out into entrepreneurship. The biggest challenge is simply making the decision that you're going to do it. And as soon as you make that decision that you're going to do it and now's the time, guaranteed you'll figure out a way. And there's not a doubt in my mind that you're able to retire. There's not a doubt in my mind. Everything in your uh, email that you wrote to me indicates that you're careful, that you're thoughtful, that you're a planner that you are expert, even if I look and I breeze through this when describing your portfolio for the radio, but if I look at how your portfolio is structured and where you've chosen, it's clear that you know what you're doing with running your own finances. And it's clear that you've planned for this, you've worked for this, you have focused on this, you have a clear plan, you have a clear budget. So you're a planner and you're there. Now, there's nothing I can say that's going to take away that, uh, that little nagging fear that's at the back of your mind, though, until you do it. There's nothing I can say. Because the reality is, can I guarantee you that you're going to be financially independent and you're never going to ever face the problem of ever having to work again? I would never make that guarantee. And, I, and it is anybody who could. There's no way to guarantee it. No matter how conservative your portfolio is, there's always some scenario that we could make up that could be a problem. So let's say that your scenario is beautifully allocated and your plan works. And in that case, the 4% rule, the 3% rule or whatever works awesome for you. Well, you're set. But what if we're coming off of a 30-year bubble in bonds and your bond portion of your portfolio doesn't work? And what if all of the growth in the stock market is completely fake because it's completely subject to uh, you know, quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve pumping up the market and that's why the market is pumped up? And so now for the next 20 years, stocks stand still and nothing works the way that it's supposed to. What if, what if we're in a new norm? Well, are you going to be okay? 
And I'm telling you, you're going to be okay even if your portfolio is not. What if you take all your money and you put it into a guaranteed annuity payment split among four or five really well-run insurance companies and you know that no matter what, you've got your 40 grand coming in that you need coming in? Well, is it possible that the insurance company could go out of business? Is it possible that the dollar could lose its value? Is it possible that we could enter into a, you know, a wacky time of, 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 of global economy? Is it possible we could go into a world war? All of these things are possible. They're improbable. They're highly improbable. But anything is possible. So if you spend all of your time focusing on here's what's possible, man, I could <laughs> – Go read Zero Hedge for a few minutes and you'll be convinced that you you know, you know need to cash out every single one of your uh, investment accounts from <laughs> right today. And you got to sell everything and you're just doomed. So the major thing you've got to learn to deal with is you got to learn to figure out how are you going to handle your fear. And I think the way you're going to handle it is by being confident in yourself and in your confidence in your ability to make things happen. I think you probably already are. Uh, I'm just making the point to, to encourage you a little bit. I don't think, frankly, that you're sitting around waiting for me, you know, desperate for me to answer your question to give you that uh, that attaboy go ahead, and then you're going to do it and pull the and you're going to march in tomorrow after you hear this and tell your boss. I think you've already got the plan, and you're just taking advantage of uh, of an opportunity to get a double checked uh, a double checked uh, opinion. And I think that's great. And I don't think you really care or needed to know what the fee only financial planner, but you're a prudent person and you never know what you don't know. And I applaud you for that. But the key is. You've got to learn how to manage your fear. And I think the only way to manage your fear, at least that I can come up with, is to be confident in yourself and in your ability. If you had a worst case scenario, let's say that you and your wife retire and she's diagnosed with cancer next year and all of a sudden your insurance is insufficient and you spend uh, you know, a million dollars out of pocket uh, on her treatment. You're going to places that aren't covered and you're working like crazy to get her treatment. You know what? you would be okay because you'd get another job. You're not going to lose your ability to work. You're not going to lose your ability to, to be financially productive. You didn't list your salaries on here, but I guarantee they're pretty good. Both of you, you said you have high-stress jobs and they bring in high income. So you're not going to lose that. You're not going to lose that ability. Even if something happened and you were found liable for – something and you lost all your money, all your money were stolen from you, invested with Bernie Madoff and it's all gone, you know what? You'd make it back because you're the kind of person who becomes wealthy. You are wealthy because of the kind of person you've become and you don't cease becoming, you not, don't cease being that person if you lose your money. You're going to be fine. Now, let's run some quick numbers, and here's the only number you need to worry about for this simple math. You do need to figure out how to structure a portfolio, but just look at the, look at the rate of return that you need from your portfolio in order, for you to, uh, in order for you to make this work. And here's a couple ways I'll put this into, into, uh, into um, focus. So you have $1.4 million of assets here, and you say that you estimate your retirement spending to be $37,000. Well, if we go by the much-proclaimed 4% rule, 4% of $1.4 million would be $56,000, substantially more than $37,000. If we go 3% of $1.4 million, would be $42,000. 3% pretty conservative estimate. If we flip it around and we say, let's figure out what percentages of it, of your Nest egg is $37,000. Divide $37,000 by $1.4 million, and what you wind up with is you wind up with 2.6%. That's your current withdrawal rate from your portfolio at a spending level of $37,000. That is the safest of the safe when it comes to safe withdrawal rates of a balanced portfolio and all of the research that we can look at. Now, remember, all that we can do as financial planners is go based upon the research. And you can read and probably have read all the same studies that we've read. And I don't know anyone that would say that 2.6% wisely invested couldn't be maintained, a 2.6% withdrawal rate couldn't be maintained into perpetuity. So if your retirement spending is actually $37,000, it doesn't get safer than that. You can hit 2.6% off of dividends. You can hit 2.6% off of income if you build an income portfolio. 
You can be, you can hit two point six percent on all kinds of things. So things are good. Let me give you another way to look at this. Let's assume that you just put all your money in the bank. You split it up into uh, a bunch of six different uh, individual accounts, all of which have FDIC insurance. And the question is, how long will $1.4 million last you if you spend $37,000 per year? That is 38 years of income. It's 37.84. 38 years of income if you don't make any interest on your money. And you didn't include, although you did mention your pension, you didn't include Social Security payments. We're not factoring that into the 2.6%. You didn't include any kind of side income, and I know that you don't want to plan on that. But I'm telling you, you're going to find a way to make some money doing something. Um, I just, maybe there are people who don't, but I've never seen them. You're going to find a way to do something, make you know 500 bucks here and a couple thousand bucks there. So it doesn't get any safer than your scenario if your numbers are accurate. And this is why you ran into my I bet you ran into problems with your planner. There I don't know any financial planner that specializes in working with the early retirement financial independent com, independence community. I really don't. And although I love the community, I probably myself wouldn't actually specialize in that area if it were a planner. And the reason is purely selfish. The early retirement financial independence community is made up of a massive number of awesome people who are very, very frugal and very, very cost conscious. And it's a good business decision usually to serve people who like to pay you money and who are less cost conscious. And I personally believe that most businesses that are working in luxury business instead of in necessary business, instead of in uh, – What's the opposite of luxury? Necessity. Uh, necessity businesses that are going to be more well-served. So if I were ever building a business, I would want to work in the luxury market because the money flows more quickly. And so the early retirement financial independent community is awesome, extremely frugal. That's who I am. But as a business person, I would focus more on serving uh, – me personally, I would focus on serving the Palm Beach crowd, you know, serving them in a multifamily office or a single-family office or serving like the, the people who, who value uh, things and it's not just about where can I get the best deal. Now, I, this is not an insult in any way. I'm just illustrating why I think there aren't more planners serving uh, serving this community. There may be a couple out there, and I think that if those one or two can identify themselves, they'll have more business than they know what to do with because there's such an active online presence in the various early retirement uh, forums. But the active online presence is very much made up of, of also do-it-yourselfers uh, like you. You're, you know what you're talking about. And so I, I compare this to uh, if I'm a chef starting a restaurant – should I start a restaurant specialized in selling high-end food to other chefs? That's what's tough. That's my best gut feeling on why more people aren't serving uh, the early retirement community with financial planning. Uh, I wouldn't start a business trying to serve high-end meals to chefs. Not that chefs won't go and do it, but it's a whole lot easier for me to serve high-end meals to consumers who just love to eat and don't know how to cook. And so the media in the financial independence space, things like I'm doing, things like bloggers are doing, things like where people create maybe products of some kind, those are great. And the reason they're great, the reason my show has such a, a wide audience of early retirement financial independence community is I'm serving up information on the subject that people who are hungry for information are hungry for. So th this is why if you go out in the mass market, uh, I, I'm not serving up information necessarily to people in the mass market, although I'd love to, but just, most people aren't out there interested in saying, how can I learn about personal finance? It's a different type of person. So I can serve this community with information that's helpful, and maybe I can build a business on that, but it's hard to serve with high-priced financial planning. So most financial planners, my point in, in all that was to give a little insight. Most financial planners have never dealt with somebody from the early retirement community. And in fact, most financial planners, based upon my experience, I would say have zero interest in the early retirement um, themselves. Yes, they're building towards early retirement, but most of us that get into this business, we're attracted by the large dollar figures that can be made. And so therefore, it's much more likely that we're going to live and want to live a high lifestyle than to build a frugal lifestyle of early retirement. I was the only person that I ever knew as a financial planner who was actually working toward that. 
most many financial advisors love to spend and they it doesn't the concept of uh yeah savings i'm not saying they're that they're that they're dumb they save money but the idea of just trying to get done as quick as you can is not that's not normal so they're not used to thinking about it. They don't spend time reading it. You know, most people don't spend time, and uh, most people who are financial advisors don't spend time in early retirement forums. It's not something that's that's of interest to them. Uh, the other thing is, this is important that you understand with the structure of their business. When you go into a financial advisory business, everything in your business is deferred compensation. So the idea, if I were to say, how could I build a business where I can, you know, in five years, let's say I'm going to, how can I make as much money as I can in five years? and quit, it would be foolish to try to approach the financial advice business with that, with that mentality. Because everything is based on the long run. Everything is built on that long tail. And you, where you get rich, is a, really rich as a financial advisor, is if you start at 25, you're hustling from 25 to 30, and you are broke. Then from 30 to 40, you're kind of making it. But then it's from 40 to 70 that you really make money. And so I can't think of anybody I know who would do what you're doing and walk away. And if any financial advisor I know who would do what you're doing and walk away. Because the, the cost of walking away is simply too high. It's you've put too much time and too much sweat into building your business. It's just simply too high. And I hope you can understand that. It's not, I don't think it's right or wrong. It's just a little bit of insight. The other thing to recognize is because financial advisors don't know, don't deal with people who like you, usually people are coming to us either who oftentimes who have problems or who are just simply not so, not so tight. It's very rare to meet somebody who actually knows consistently how much they're spending. In the years that I worked as a financial advisor and in the over a thousand clients that I, prospective clients that I worked with face to face, I could probably say off of that number, a dozen, two, a dozen or two that actually knew what they were spending. A very small portion of those dozen, maybe a handful, were kind of really focused, uh, like Dave Ramsey budgeters, where they just say, oh, here's my monthly budget for last month. That is inconceivably rare to find someone who knows that. Uh, the other ones just simply would, you know, the, the type of people who know exactly is they just ask their bookkeeper or their accountant and they prepare annual financial statements and they just say, oh, okay, yeah, we spent $280,000 last year. That's that's basically it. Almost nobody in our society tracks their money. And if they do track it, it's not actual uh, detailed data. And so we as pl- me as a planner, I almost never use a client's numbers. What I try to do when I'm calculating how much a client needs to spend is back into it. I take their gross income, I estimate their taxes, then I pull out any, any ongoing payments that I know of. So what's the principal and interest payment on their mortgage? How much is going to the car payment? Uh, and then I back out any retirement contributions. And I usually tell them what they're spending. And I know more what they're spending than they are because I can look at the numbers. Most people don't have any money in savings. So I can look at the retirement accounts. I can find out how much is going into that account. And now I know what the actual number is of what they're spending. And so as a planner, especially if you only met with this person one time, it's very likely that uh, he, yeah, you said it's a he. Uh, it's very likely that he just simply has never met anybody like you. And so to add $15,000 per year of a slush fund is very is very prudent on his part. But if you don't need that $15,000 as a slush fund, then then you're okay. And I doubt that you do because I doubt I bet you that you know exactly what you spend in each category. I mean, you've calculated your cost of working. <laughs> that means you've read your money or your life. That means you have a chart sitting there with your categories and you know exactly what's going to change. And so you got to understand that, and I think that would explain kind of the disconnect. There is nothing I could, that you could do at this point that is going to make you safer and more ready to retire. Pull the plug. Go. That's what I say. And a year or two or three from now, you're going to have a totally different feeling. And if you feel like it's stressing you out and you're spending too much money, 
just do something part-time, build a financial advice business consulting to early, early retirement community because <laughs> you could do that. And you, I mean, that, that, that's your three-year project and do it virtually like with that business model that I described the other day, um, show before last. Um, you've got this, man. Go for it. There's nothing you can do. Check on your insurance. Make sure your insurance is lined up. Um, the only thing that could sink, one, the one thing that could sink you would be something like long-term care. Uh, maybe you've considered long-term care insurance. If you haven't, consider make sure you plan for it. If you don't have long-term care insurance uh, or think about getting long-term care insurance, research that topic and just consider what you're going to do. It's, it's highly improbable that you're going to need it. Uh, you're young. You're probably very healthy. You're probably going to be even healthier. But that's one of those things that we as planners worry about. So at least consider it and make a decision because that's one of those things that, you know, you turn 52 and you get early onset Alzheimer's and now you know your wife has to spend the next 15 years caring for you that can that can scramble a million dollar nest egg pretty quickly you know if she's got a higher care uh, now that's not what you're that's clearly not what you're planning for your your uh, your retirement and you've got to figure out the risk factor you've got to figure out are you worried about that risk are you okay with that risk uh, but work out your long-term care planning figure out your health insurance planning but there's nothing you can come up with that's going to be safer for you today pull the trigger go for it that's my answer Next question. Kip says, Joshua, came across your podcast and I dig the advice and the honesty. I've read numerous articles encouraging the use of fee-based financial advisors but haven't had a lot of luck finding the right person. Discouragement set in after numerous canned responses and what seemed like aggressive sales tactics. I made somewhat of a half-baked attempt in my early 20s with regularly maxing out a Roth and always contributing enough to various company 401ks to get the contribution match. I've not paid a lot of attention, and I recently realized that I'm holding 50% of my total assets in a standard savings account yielding only 1%. Without pulling the actual figures, that'd be about 90000 bucks in retirement accounts, Roth, traditional, rollover, and about $90,000 in straight-up cash. Terrible, I know. My question is this. How do I fix or prevent this? I currently have one investment property with a mortgage that's less than what it's leasing for. I see a couple of fix-it options. I could buy another house. I could pay down my existing mortgage. I could invest outside of a retirement account. I believe adjusting my 401k contribution may be a start to preventing it, but what about after I max it out? I don't mind paying for advice, but what I really want is someone that's hands-on and up-to-date, who's helping me get the most out of my money. Kip, a lot of people in the audience are screaming at you right now. <laughs> Here's what I'd say very simply. What on earth are you trying to do? And I mean that not in a snide way or a snotty way. I just mean like what, what are you trying to do? What are your goals? And that's where it all starts and that's where it all ends. Clear, it's clear to me by your statement and by the way that you wrote your email that you simply don't have any specific financial goals. You might have a general idea of a goal. You might ask, someday I want to be rich, someday I want to retire. But you don't have any specific financial goals. And that's okay. I'm not mad at you. Most people don't. <laughs> the reality is almost nobody has specific financial goals. But my answer to you is, what do you want to do? If, for example, you're like me and you want to travel with your kids and you want to buy an RV and cruise the world and, and you know take a year and uh, drive down to Argentina, then that $90,000 would be deployed into fixing up the house, selling it so that you're free, going and buying the RV, loading everything up, and you would just simply use it to fund your trip. If, on the other hand, you have a goal of starting a snowboard design business and this has always been a real passion of yours and you love snowboarding and for you the most you know fun thing you can think of is to figure out how to do that then that ninety thousand dollars should be put into you know r&d and buying the equipment that you need maybe getting a 3d printer and 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 taking two years off so you can develop the newest way to print carbon fiber snowboards with a 3d printer which you can you know, sell the technology to the, around the world and people can print snowboards on demand and they don't have to pay baggage claim fees, you know, for carrying the big snowboard bag. Silly example, but <laughs> it, it really is true. Now, 
if your goal is, you know what, I don't like my job and I want to be retired early and you know, then the next question is, well, what's the better investment for you? What's the best investment for you? Maybe it's going ahead and buying a real estate, a house, or maybe it's buying nine houses and putting 10,000 bucks down on each of them because you're going to build 10, uh, a real estate portfolio of 10 rental houses. And that's going to be your ticket to financial independence so that, you know, you work 10 hours a week and, and play golf the rest of the time. Or you're satisfied with life and you like your job and everything's pretty good and you just want to minimize some stress. So in that case, you know, pay off your mortgage so you don't ever have to worry about anything going wrong in the world. Uh, you always have a paid-for house and just toss the money in a 401k and be done with it. Uh, and I'm not being flippant. What I'm illustrating is that the way to answer your question is simply decide what you want. This is why working from a list of written goals is so important, especially personal goals, which are always funded with finance, and then working with those financial goals and having them ordered. What is my biggest opportunity right now? What is the thing that I'm trying to do? If you know that, then the answer is very clear. So at all times, practically, uh, we should have a list of here's what's the next most important thing. Do you want to give the money away? You know, would you like to go and actually make a difference and give the money? And you have a, a way to do that that for you is a big deal. Uh, you know, I know I know people all over the world, and you know, I'd love to give ninety thousand dollars, and and there's little businesses I'd love to start that would help people in little ways that that can you know really contribute. And I won't get into more detail than that from my perspective, but maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe you want to do like um, you know the urban farming guys did and, and quit your job and move into the inner city. And that ninety thousand dollars you're going to use to buy uh, three little houses, you know, for five thousand bucks each, and you're going to invest the rest of it. And the mission of your life is going to be tr to transform uh, an inner city neighborhood. Maybe that's what you should do. What do you want out of life? And I'm not being the least bit flippant, but when you answer that question then it will be very apparent to you what you should put the cash into. Until you know the answer to that question, you probably should just leave it sitting in the bank. No matter what, you know, because if you, if you wait six months, what, are you going to lose out on, you know, an extra $682? Until you know the answer to that question, it should probably sit in the bank, but you should answer that question. Once you answer it, you're going to know. Now, I'm going to make an additional comment. I, re I replied back to Kip when he emailed me. I said, hey, thanks for the answer. I put it on my queue for the Friday Q&A shows. And I just said, short answer. Start with your goals. Why are you investing at all? What's the goal? You know, when you know the goal, what is the optimal investment plan? It'll just work out. And then you put the cash in. Let me slow down. And I said, then when you know the goal, what is the optimal investment plan to hit your goals based on your unique skills and situation? Then put all of the cash to work on that investment plan. And he wrote back with this answer. And the reason why this answer is important because it illustrates what most people think about their goals are when it comes to investing. And it's good, but it's not good enough. My primary motivation is passively capitalizing on my savings. Ideally, I'd like a set it and forget it strategy. Modest gains with modest risk. Maybe I need a portfolio manager. Early on, an advisor put me in loaded funds. I've had a hard time trusting since. If I went with a portfolio manager, my main concern would be performance and cost. I don't mind paying a fee, but I'd like it to be competitive and comparable. So I'll answer this uh, directly. Number one, my primary motivation is passively capitalizing on my savings. Why? Again, I'm not being flippant. Why? If it's, okay, I like, I just kind of like doing what I'm doing. I'm going to toss some money here. I'm really happy with life. Then that's, then that's a good answer. And now we understand. I want to set it and forget it strategy. Modest gains with modest risk. I don't know what modest gains are, and I don't know what modest risk is. As far as I'm concerned, everything is risky, and everything has some gains, and, and you just got to figure out what risks are you willing to bear. But investing with just a generalized, oh, this would be nice, Man, you're doomed. You're doomed with that kind of plan. Even if it's this long-range thing with retirement, what you need to know is you need to know how much gains do you need to hit your goal. And if you don't have a goal, that's okay. But you're not going to know what is modest and what is modest. So 
the way that I would do that is back into it. So let me assume a mainstream scenario. Let me assume, Kip, you're happy with life. You love, you know, you love what you do. You love where you live. You just love everything that's going on with life. Well, then still, at what age would you like to be in a position to not to have to work if you didn't want to? Calculate that. Everything's great. I want to be a 75. Perfect. Now we know. Or 65, or 55, or 62, or 71, whatever. Okay, how much income would you like coming in at that point in time? That's the next question. About what I have now. All right, what do you have now? We calculate that out. How much can you save and afford afford to save and invest every month right now? And that's going to give you the rate of return. And then calculate back and ask yourself, what's the rate of return that I need from my portfolio for me to hit this on an inflation-adjusted basis? And then that'll let you know what you need. Now, if you need a 1% return, then your answer is probably 1% nominal, not real, but 1% nominal, which this you would never need this. But if you need a 1% nominal rate of return, meaning the stated rate of return, uh, even after you've adjusted your calculations for inflation, you're just saving so much money every month that you can get there. Well, now you why take any more risk? You just trot down to the bank and you buy CDs and now you have modest gains and there's practically no risk. It's modest risk. At least it's modest market risk. It's not necessarily modest dollar risk. It's not necessarily modest inflation risk. It's not necessarily modest any of those risks, just modest market risk. But that's not going to be the answer to that calculation. And so you do another calculation, and the answer is I need a 6% rate of return. Okay, well, how can you get that? Well, this you might trot down and, you know, but do what uh, Vincent did in the last the last uh, questioner and buy a Vanguard you know total stock market index fund modest risk it's got some market risk but it's pretty deferred you know also modest gain not going to be anything spectacular but it's probably going to deliver you know five six percent probably a little bit more but who knows modest gain modest risk set it and forget it that's my answer. And you've got to answer every investment question with what's my goal for this investment? What's my goal for this investment? Why am I investing? Because remember, every dollar that you invest is a dollar that you can't consume. And we don't invest for any purpose other than future consumption. That's it. You invest so that you have more money in the future for you to consume. That's rational. So if you don't need to invest then go ahead and consume it now. And you can consume it in any way that aligns with your values. You can consume it on fancy stuff. You can consume it on fancy trips. You can consume it on a trip around the world. You can consume it by giving it away because that brings you pleasure. And you're the, what's that, uh, the guy that goes out at Christmas time? You're Mr. Santa Claus or whatever, and you're giving out $100 bills. That's consumption. And that's in line with, I suppose, his values. I mean, of course it's in line. He wouldn't do it if it weren't. It's pretty simple, but you got to know your goals. You got to know what you're trying to do. When you get clear on that, the investment will make sense. Then, then the investment will, will, will return. It'll, it'll emerge. One comment on the portfolio manager. Um, at this stage, I wouldn't say what you need is a portfolio manager. At this stage, what I would say is you need a financial planner, someone who can help you figure out what you want out of life. And in that scenario, you got to figure out, you know, who can you find that's going to do that. One thing that concerns me, well, two things that concern me in your email here. You said maybe I need a portfolio manager. Early on, an investor, an advisor, put me in loaded funds. I've had a hard time trusting since. If I went with a portfolio manager, my main concern would be performance and cost. I don't mind paying a fee, but I'd like it to be competitive or comparable. I don't know what your experience was with the advisor who put you in loaded funds. I would say, I disagree with many people, there's nothing inherently unethical about selling or buying loaded mutual funds. If that's the way that you've agreed with your financial advisor that they're going to be compensated is based upon the commission from the sale of a mutual fund, then that's the agreement that you've made. So unless that was done in secret or unless the advisor didn't disclose that that was the case, then what was it that caused you to not trust that person? Just because a fund is a loaded fund, again, I've sold plenty of loaded funds in the right context with full disclosure, clearly showing my client what their options were, and clearly demonstrating the cost and the benefit. I don't see the ethical problem with selling loaded funds. 
if you want the advisor's services, they've got to be paid somehow. And that could be paid with an hourly fee, with a check that you write out of your paycheck on some kind of monthly or annual retainer fee. They can be paid on commission, or they can be paid based upon uh, a fee for assets under management. So I don't say, I wouldn't say that you have. Uh, a, uh, that there's necessarily something that you can't trust unless the advisor was deceptive. And where probably I think people might feel deceived is if they don't know that you can go out and buy unloaded funds. But you know, do I consider my, my real estate agent to have deceived me because they get a commission when I bought a house with them when I could have gone out and bought a house without a commission? That's where it's questionable. And so my only solution to that is full disclosure and careful conversations. I always tried to make sure that every client knew all of their investing options and that if they wanted to work with me, they did so because they needed and wanted my advice. And then I presented to them the different ways that, they, that I'm compensated and they could choose uh, if they match certain scenarios, they could choose. And some of the times I was compensated with the sale of a loaded mutual fund. And I believe my clients received far more value from me in that scenario than not. And I've also had multiple clients where they looked at the commissions and they looked at the fees and they said, you know what, uh, Joshua, I just can't, I'm just not willing to pay this. And I said, I understand. In that case, here's what you can do. Here's an online brokerage account. Here's an online mutual fund account. Here's an online this. Here's a this. Here's where you can go and you can get this service for free. And you know what? To the best of my knowledge, the two clients that I'm thinking of, the money continues to sit in a savings account because nobody has got – they didn't want to pay my fees. The money sits in the savings account, and they're no closer to their goals than they were when they met me. And I hate that. They would have been better off uh, – this wasn't what I proposed, but they would have been better off buying all loaded mutual funds than they are right now because they missed out. <laughs> on a massive increase because their money was sitting in cash. So it's very tricky. It's, I mean, the ethics of that I think are tricky. And the only way I know how to deal with it is to let each person make sure everyone is fully educated on all of their options, and that they understand what they're giving. The second thing I will, I'll comment on here is you said here, if I went with a portfolio manager, my main concern would be performance or cost. I don't mind paying a fee, but I'd like it to be competitive or comparable. I would recommend to you that you really understand what you, what you expect an advisor to do for you. Um, you might find some advisors who will promise outperformance. I have never seen any statistically reliable uh, indication that I can predict in advance who's going to outperform. I've never made that claim in my life. To me, that is not the primary service of an advisor. The primary service of an advisor is wrapped up in excellent financial planning, and by that I'm referring in this context to uh, helping you with to save money on taxes, helping you to make intelligent choices with your overall performance. Um, some excellent, excellent financial coaching in the sense of uh, helping you to figure out what you want. That's what you need is you need a life coach uh, to help you figure out what you want. And then number three helping you make sure you don't shoot yourself in the foot. Because if you say, I need modest gains and modest risk, if it were appropriate and over time, if I were working with you, I could get you into something with great gains and almost no risk and coach you through those times that you need coaching, which is when you're about to bail, when the market is at the bottom, when you're about to jump into the latest, greatest hot tip that you got when the market is at the top. So that is... Uh, you got to understand the services. Different advisors are going to deliver different services. If you just want a portfolio manager who's going to do a good job, go buy an active mutual fund. And you can hire a perfectly good portfolio manager. You can find one. Uh, if you don't need a portfolio manager, just go buy an index fund if you need an advisor. So my point is, and I hope this is helpful, but you got to understand what you want, what you need, and that's the thing that we all need to do. What do we want? What do we need at this stage in life? Now, who can serve what we need? hope this is helpful for you, but in, I hope it's instructive for other people in the audience. But you need to understand what you want, what you need, what you're trying to accomplish. And when you bring those things together, 
then you'll be able to create a plan. You might be a new listener. If you are, go ahead and keep listening or listen to the archives. This show is meant to be consumed in a cumulative manner. So go back through the archives if you haven't and listen to past episodes. But hopefully you'll come up with some ideas so that then you have a more specific question. I think it was, uh, I'll leave you with two comments. I think it, two quotes. I think it was, Tony Robbins, who popularized the saying, or at least that's, I think, who I heard it from, if you want a better answer, ask a better question. And I think that is uh, the specific thing uh, that, that, that you, need, you and, and I both need to learn, is always to ask better questions, questions that are better formulated, because depending on the question that we ask, that's the answer that we get. So especially in finance, we need to ask more specific questions. I can't possibly answer a question as general as yours because I don't know what the constraints are. But with a set of very specific constraints, then the answer becomes apparent. So the key is to understand what the, 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 the question is. The other quote from years ago, I used to love listening to Zig Ziglar. Uh, I just loved his southern accent and his kind of down-home, homespun you know, thing. And he used to say, you know, you got to become a meaningful specific and not a wandering generality. That's the fix here. Every dollar should have a name and every dollar should have a goal. And once you become a meaningful specific and you have goals that are specific, and here's what I'm trying to accomplish, then all these financial questions are simple and they're easy. But as long as you're sitting here with a general question and a general goal, then you're going to be batted around the financial advice industry. You're going to be batted around from one person to another. You're going to be batted around from one, uh, you know, from one theory and philosophy. And one person's going to say buy CDs, and the other person's going to say buy index funds, and the third person's going to say invest in real estate, and the fourth person's going to say buy fixed index annuities, and the fifth person's going to say uh, some other variation. And there's a thousand more. But once you know what you want. The question becomes simple. Excuse me, the answer becomes simple. In many ways, this is all the financial planners do is we take data in and we give data out. And all we work at is essentially a, com a computer. And then the soft skill is being able to help you understand what you want and then provide solutions. So <laughs> I wish you luck, man. Write back to me and let me know what you come up with. I'd, be lo I'd love to hear. Last question comes from Joe. He says, Hey, Joshua, my name is Joe, and I'm 24 years old. I've been listening to your show for a while now, and I really enjoy it. Keep up the good work. My question has to do with whether or not a Roth 401k is the right move for me. Currently, my gross income is $58,616. This year, I've contributed 6% of my adjusted gross income into a regular 401k, and my employer matches $0.80 cents on the dollar up to the first 5% of my pay. I also contribute to my Roth IRA and will max it out at $5,500. My employer just recently began offering a Roth 401k option, and my question is whether or not it is the best move for me to make to begin contributing to the Roth versus the regular 401k. I understand the tax benefits on the front end at my young age and do believe taxes will rise in the future, and also that I will hopefully be in a higher tax bracket in retirement than I am now. In my mind, the advantage of the Roth is the higher contribution limit, $18,000 instead of $5,500. But the advantage of the Roth IRA, I think he meant the Roth 401k. I mean, he did mean the Roth 401k. But the advantage of the Roth IRA is that I have it at Schwab and I have lower fees and more investment options than inside my 401k. I would like to keep my net take-home pay the same and I'm having trouble running the math to figure out which would be the better option. In addition, I have the option to do a Roth 401k conversion on the $12,000 that's in my regular 401k. Your advice would be much appreciated. About me, I've got $27,000 in the Roth, $12,000 in a 401k, $3,000 in a taxable account, investment account, $6,000 in a savings account, and two grand in a checking account. I owe $41,000 on federal parent plus student loans at 7.65% and $16,500 at 5.25%. I currently am on the standard repayment plan and make an extra $100 payment each month on top of that. No credit card debt or any other type of loan. I own a 2005 Camry that's paid off. Joe. Joe, this is, uh, this is the question that I don't like getting more than anything else because it's impossible for me to give a complete answer on it uh, because I don't know enough facts. And even if I did know enough facts, I still have to make a gut call on the Roth versus the non-Roth scenario. The reality is that if you've ever heard that this is a simple decision, 
you've heard from someone that doesn't understand how complex this is. There are so many different variables that impact um, the, the decision of what is right or not right in the Roth versus the traditional approach. There are so many variables that the best we can do is just simply make a guess. And I could toss out a dozen variables, but I'm not going to right now. And I mean, it's everything from... Uh, it's not good of me for just me to say I'm gonna. I could toss out, but I'm not going, and then just start tossing out. There are a lot of variables, including income now, income in the future, tax brackets now, tax brackets in the future, uh, marginal tax rates, compression of the tax rates, other taxes. Not all taxes are raised just by increasing the brackets. So it's possible the brackets could be exactly the same, but you know the 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 the. The money the subject Social Security could be different. I mean, there's so many answers to this. And at some point here, I've got to get the show done on this, which is going to be the comprehensive guide to Roth versus individual. But the reality is it's going to leave you at the end of it just more confused than ever. And just the fact that – and less confident than ever because I've given you more data and you're going to sit there and say, huh, now I really don't know what to do. (laughs) So (laughs) – at the end of the day, we're all just guessing, and we're guessing, making educated guesses. But when you're 24 years old, and I'm basically got, and I basically have a 76 year time horizon, you know, to get you out to age 100, and then I've got to figure out, well, what what income are your kids going to be making? I mean, I, I, if I'm working with someone who's 60 years old and they're doing a Roth conversion, and uh, I, mean, I got to ask, well, are your kids are your kids making a high income or a low income? Because then, what assets you going to leave? Are you going to leave behind? And it, it's an impossible question to answer. So all we do is we give some guidelines and we make some guesses. And unless you know more specifics about your scenario, uh, so you know, okay, I'm in a business that it's unlikely that I'm ever going to make a lot of money, so now I can know that. Or I'm in a business, and what I mean is, is your income going to go up at 3% per year with cost of inflation raises, or is it going to go up at 23% per year because you're in a highly compensated field where you can improve your sales skill? That's a big factor. Because that, you know, depending on how I calculate your contributions to be, uh, that's tough. Uh, I got to figure that out. Or are are you going to be doing any kind of early retirement strategy where I can follow some of the plans that that you, I mean I've brought people on the show to demonstrate this where you're going to work for 20 years and then you're going to retire and then I can do zero percent tax uh, Roth conversions. So anybody who says it's just simple, um, I think doesn't understand <laughs> all the all the inner workings of it. But at the end of the day, just because I go round and round in circles and and you know make you think I'm smart because I give you all these different variables, that doesn't help you. And so at the end of the day, we just got to stick a thumb in the air and make a guess. And my answer is, yeah, at your age, 24 years old, making 60 grand, um, man, I just toss it into the Roth, uh, and I could be wrong, but that would be my guess. Uh, hopefully, you're going to make more money. I'm 24 years old. This should be the least you'll ever make. Uh, hopefully, if you're listening to the show, you're going to make a lot more money in the future. Uh, 60 grand brackets. You know, you don't say anything about family or other scenarios. So, reality is 60 grand of an individual. You're not married. You don't have dependents. You don't have anything like this. You're going to be, you know, fairly highly taxed. But it's probably going to be less than it is in the future. So, my best guess, yeah, go with Roth um, and. It's just an educated guess and <laughs> and a, a thumb in the air. Now, whether you go traditional, uh, excuse me, put the money into the Roth four hundred one k instead of the Roth IRA, uh, as long as you're take as you, long as you are taking advantage of the Mac of the match, um, then I would. So you've got to make sure you take advantage of the match first, going into the Roth four hundred one k, and then I would go back from that and put it in the Roth IRA. And my reasoning for that is both what you said as far as, okay, I've got lower fees and more investment options. That's true. But also that you can get the money out more easily if you have need of it. I don't know if you're married. I doubt it. You don't mention anything about that and you're 24 years old. So let's say that all of a sudden you meet the girl of your dreams and you decide you're going to buy an engagement ring, but you don't have the money in savings because you didn't plan for it. Well, if the money's in the Roth IRA, you can take two you can take two grand of your contributions out and go buy the ring. So something like that, it's just going to be more flexible in the Roth IRA. It's, and by having it in the Roth 401k, you're going to be subject to whatever the 401k rules, whatever the rules that are written on the plan are into the Roth, in the Roth uh, 401k 
system. So they may or may not allow a loan, but it'd be nice to avoid it. Uh, they may or may not allow distributions. And so you just you're just going to be more flexible if you keep it in your individual Roth IRA. And I think that will help you. I'll tell you what I would do, man. Get rid of that 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 student loan. Uh, make sure in this would I do more in the Roth, more or not, and get rid of the student loan. Man, I would want to get rid of this this student loan. Uh, you owe forty one thousand two hundred dollars on a federal student loan at seven point six five percent interest. You can get a guaranteed seven point six five percent rate of return by paying that thing off. Guaranteed seven point six five percent. That is healthy. That is strong. And also, you can free up the cash flow, which may, as you're young in your career, might be helpful for you. You might want to transition from the career where you are now to a different career. You might want to start a business. So if you can free up the cash flow, that'll be beneficial. And if you can uh, just knock that out, remember, you can't get rid of student loans. Uh, they're creditor-proof. and Excuse me. They are. You can't bankrupt your way out. You're always going to have it. And 7.65%, even 5.25%. Uh, I mean, if you had one of these loans that was at one and a half percent interest or two and a half percent interest, I'd have to run some, you know, I'd have to think more about that. But for me, my two cents, get that thing out of here. 7.65% guaranteed rate of return. Also increasing your flexibility, uh, you know, with lower cash flow, get rid of that thing. That'd be what I would do. And I would personally prioritize that probably over and above a bunch of money in the Roth. Uh, although I would have to think that through, and you know your situation, so think that through. I think a key variable in financial planning we don't talk about enough is flexibility. And I tell you this, I couldn't be doing the business that I am doing right now and taking the entrepreneurial you know, jump if I had a bunch of student loans. Simply couldn't do it. Uh, and so I'll take flexibility myself at a little bit of financial cost. Because uh, flexibility is life, and that's the, th the thing is, is that we're doing life, not math. And math needs to contribute to life. But at the end of the day, these lifestyle goals and lifestyle uh, decisions have to have to be counted heavily. So, hope that helps. I will get this show done on at some point here soon. I will get this show done on Roth versus traditional, and it will leave every one of you as conf more confused than you were before. <laughs> That's my promise. But at least you'll feel like you're a little bit more educated in a confused manner. <laughs> That's the best I can do for you. Uh, how on earth do I predict political winds of change? How on earth do I predict... Um, <laughs> I can't. I have no idea. So we'll just go through a bunch of questions, and then you, at the end of the day, you'll have to figure it out for yourself. So that's it for my Friday show. And I just thank each and every one of you for being here. I've had a great week. Uh, it's been a fun week. It's been a challenging week. I've engaged. I've enjoyed very much. I've enjoyed interacting with all of you who have emailed me, all of you who have commented on, on the shows, including on Monday's show. Uh, I have enjoyed very much. I love – I've got the best job in the world because – um, when I get to do this, I mean, just think about how much you get to learn from people and think about how amazing this is. The more people that you're, that you're in, that you know, and that you meet in your life, uh, the more you learn because you get to learn from them. Well, I get to do something like this where I've got thousands of listeners. Some, I mean, some of you guys are so you're 50 times brighter than I am. And and I mean, I can't lose. Uh, that's why I take the, the the track that I do. Either I either either I'm right in something I say, and I help some of you, or I'm wrong. In which case, I get to learn that I'm wrong, and then I get to become right, and so I win. So I can't lose. It's a, it's a, it's a beautiful uh, it's a beautiful thing. I love doing this. Thank you all so much for your support. I'm uh, shutting down the membership program this weekend. So if you're hearing this, uh, it'll be gone uh, by Monday. Uh, it'll come back in the future, but it's going to come back looking differently. And if any of you want to get in while it's on sale, um, I will never forget the initial round of your regulars. I'll explain next week as soon as I can get it done. Uh, I'll explain what I'm doing and what I've learned with it. But I'm never going to forget you guys and gals because you've supported me from the beginning. And I'll make sure that I always honor that and remember that uh, it's a big deal uh, to me but if any of you want a discount um, I haven't fi fully figured out what you're going to get but jump in and grab the irregulars this weekend um, at the $99 level that'll be a steal for you have a great weekend everybody I wish you a lovely lovely weekend cheers see you on Monday
Thank you for listening to today's show. If you'd like to contact me personally, my email address is joshua at radicalpersonalfinance.com. You can also connect with the show on Twitter, at RadicalPF, and at Facebook.com slash RadicalPersonalFinance. This show is intended to provide entertainment, education, and financial enlightenment. But your situation is unique, and I cannot deliver any actionable advice without knowing anything about you. Please, develop a team of professional advisors who you find to be caring, competent, and trustworthy, and consult them because they are the ones who can understand your specific needs, your specific goals, and provide specific answers to your questions. I've done my absolute best to be clear and accurate in today's show, but I'm one person and I make mistakes. If you spot a mistake in something I've said, please help me by coming to the show page and commenting so we can all learn together. Until tomorrow, Thanks for being here.